uh, if we keep doing what we've been doing and all the other entrepreneurs in, 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 in Colombia and Latin America keep pushing uh, the way that we're pushing, I think 15 years from now, Latin America, Latin America could be seen as a, a tech hub with very important and relevant companies, uh, really like hopefully solving problems for people, making things cheaper or better or providing services that people didn't have in the past. Welcome, everybody. I'm Mark Peter Davis, Managing Partner of Interplay. I am on a mission to help entrepreneurs advance society, and this podcast is part of that effort. On today's episode, I chat with Jose Bonilla, the co-founder and CEO of Cheaper. And Cheaper is the leading B2B distributor of consumer goods to corner stores in Latin America. They're moving hundreds of thousands of products every month across Colombia, Mexico, and Brazil. And corner stores are a big deal. They're a prominent part of the overall grocery supply chain, representing about 50% of groceries sold in LATAM. Now, Jose is more than the co-founder of Cheaper. He's one of the godfathers of the Colombian startup scene. He's the co-founder of Imaginamos, a development shop that became a startup studio. His partner, Simon, spun Rappi out of their studio, and it's now a mega unicorn in the region that has raised over $2 billion. Jose spun out cheaper. Collectively, these dudes have trained thousands of future entrepreneurs to their companies, and they are a big part of the ecosystem that, down there. We chat all about cheaper, tips for founders and entrepreneurs, and we dive into the startup scene in Latin America. It's an absolutely fascinating chat. Enjoy. This episode is brought to you by Venwise. Venwise is a curated community of high-growth leaders. It's isolating being a leader, but it doesn't have to be. Through Venwise, you can join discussions and gain support from fellow C-level executives at high-growth tech companies. If you're interested, apply by visiting venwise.com. Jose, thanks for being here, man. Hey, Mike. Well, thank you for having me. Cool. So let's start off. You want to give us an overview of Cheaper? Sure. Well, Cheaper is a B2B marketplace. We have more than 3,000 uh, CPD products for independent corner stores. We are based in, in where we started in Colombia and expanded to Mexico and now Brazil. Uh, basically, what we offer for independent corner stores is a platform where they can find everything they need and we deliver same or next day. Uh, the idea behind all this is helping these independent store owners to be more successful businesses. Um, probably, as, as, you, as you know, being our investor, there's a huge opportunity in Latin America to streamline the supply chain uh, between suppliers and, and retailers. Uh, in many different categories, uh, as, as probably uh, people here in this podcast have seen companies uh, building something similar uh, in hardware stores for beauty and a lot of other industries. And we're doing the same thing. We started in 2018 uh, as a project with uh, the idea of, of, of building this, this platform for, for, for stores. And, and now we're fortunate that we have more than 50,000 customers in, in the three countries. Uh, we've been able to grow at a very good pace in the last three years. And we are really making a difference for our store owners. They are valuing what we are offering for them. 
And hopefully in the next years we can become for them the the main provider of decommissionation for them. Jose, so in the States, when we hear corner store, we're thinking maybe bodega. There there's just not it doesn't sound like a big percentage of the market of the supply chain where people buy food and, and consumable goods. Um, a lot of where people do their shopping is supermarkets. And then maybe there's a smaller part with like the gas stations or the bodegas in some of the major cities. But it's different in Latin America. What's, what's the, what percentage of the market is flowing through corner stores in Colombia, Mexico, Brazil, et cetera? Yeah, Latin America and essentially uh, all the, the developing world, uh, you can go up to 90%, for example, for India. Uh, in terms of uh, the percentage of market share of groceries that are sold through independent corner stores. And you can go down to 50%, that is what we have in Colombia, uh, Mexico, and Brazil, and, and along Latin America. And <clears throat> the majority of the, the independent corner stores uh, are serving a low and middle income population. Uh, and, and stores have a, a very important role uh, supplying a day to day goods. And, and, and this is something that, uh, different to the United States, um, usually it's, it's hard to imagine how people or the majority of the population in Latin America buy their goods. But basically, stores are the shelf space of their homes. And, and that's why they're so important. They, they, they've been there for uh, decades. And they've always had the same uh, share. They, they haven't... They have never uh, decreased uh, just because uh, the role that they that they that they that they have for for, for their consumers uh, is, is is very important for the way that they buy their goods. And why did you start this company? Because there's probably a million things you could have gone out and tackled. Why did um, supply chain management for corner stores? What what itch did that scratch for you? Yeah, well, actually, cheaper uh, was an opportunity that knocked out at our door when I was leading Imaginamos. Imaginamos is a software studio that I co-founded with a friend uh, back in 2007, where we basically build software for big companies, retailer banks and big companies. And, um, and from there, we did a lot of projects. One of those projects uh, that came up for, uh, to us in uh, 2018 um, was offered by someone that now is uh, an investor in Chipper that was uh, basically inviting us to uh, do some type of software for inverse logistics for them. And he was like at that moment testing the idea of reselling CPG products to, to end consumers. That, that was the, the initial idea. Uh, basically trying to uh, sell uh, products that were short expiration date uh, to, to their like office uh, employees. And uh, and the, the idea behind it was, okay, why don't we sell these products to more people, other channels? And, and that's how we started, like understanding the, the world of CPG, supply chain, and, and storage. Fortunately, we were able during those years uh, to test who was the customer that was really having a problem, but that we can solve a problem by like, optimizing the supply chain between suppliers and, and them. Um, and by the end of 2018, um, more CPGs came up, uh, like talking to us and went to talk to us to sell products uh, through the project that we were building. 
uh, more stores came to us asking for a larger selection of portfolio. And, and that was essentially the inception process that we lived through in those days that allowed us by the end of 2018 to understand that we were in a position where like the both sides were pulling us to do more. On one side, stores were asking for more products. On the other side, uh, CPGs were asking us to provide them our service so we, they can get faster to, to the, and more efficiently to the, to corner stores. Uh, and essentially that was the, the inception moment where, where, where we found, found something that we believe that could become a company. And, and that was the moment where, where Chipper started as a, as a, as a business. Um, and then in 2019, we launched with the Chipper that we know today. And, and so far, um, it, it's been going pretty well. This is a little understood thing that you're talking about. It's, it's when you know you have product market fit. I think you ha if you haven't had a lot of reps of trying to start companies and failing and succeeding, it's not obvious when it clicks. I failed a bunch in my 20s starting companies. And the confusing thing about failure is no isn't no. No is like later or let's keep the conversation going or maybe. That's what you often hear. And it's not definitive and it's not this feedback loop you're used to getting or you expect to get if you're not used to really listening to what people are saying. But yes is do more. Give me more. I want it. It's inbound. And so it's, there's an interesting thing. It's, you, never, you don't always, at least I don't know, in American culture maybe a little different, but you don't always hear this outright negative, hey, that's a dumb idea. I don't want that. You don't hear that. You kind of just get, yeah, fine, let's keep talking. You get dragged along. But yes sounds like, hey, my buddy told me about what you're doing. Can we talk? I want your thing too. And so for, you know, for entrepreneurs out there, right, there's, there's an insight here in what you're describing. And you had the wherewithal to know what no sounds like and what yes sounds like. But if you haven't ever heard yes before, you think you're almost on the precipice of succeeding when people are telling you no politely. So it's confusing. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's a great story. When you get people calling in and you get those inbound, boy, thrilling moment because you know you got something. For sure, Mark. And anecdote from those days, like at Imaginamos, we build like more than 7,000 projects. All of them had to do with technology. So I, I really know failure for projects where like no one wants to use it. You have to push a lot the project or, or what you are offering. So the customers or the users uh, try, try, try to bring them uh, to use your platform or your service. And I've seen that like hundreds of times. Obviously, as part of the company that was working with a team of entrepreneurs or a team uh, from a big business, uh, but our, our job at Adimayano was essentially that, launching products and see how they got traction or not, and, and iterating until the company wants to fund the project so that we get to the point where, where the project take off. So what happened to us in 2018 with this specific project is something that I don't see a lot. Like both sides, like pulling you to do more. Uh, I, 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 I immediately recognize that this was uh, an opportunity, probably a bigger opportunity or, or, or a, an opportunity with a higher uh, probability to be successful uh, because it's something that I never felt like on an everyday basis. 
So but I think that's 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 very important from from our initial process. And I always say like when you are doing something and you are doing something uh, repeatedly for years, you get prepared to recognize when something is potentially going to work and when something is potentially not going to work. And and both are important because that's what gets you prepared from for when when opportunities like cheaper came knocking to your door. You can recognize them and, and understand, okay, here is something that I could dedicate my life to. And, and, and there's a high probability if, if I execute and a lot of things get together that this could work. Right. So that's a great story. I love that um, you guys were kind of going in and you started feeling the market pulling you. That doesn't happen to a lot of entrepreneurs ever, right? Uh, and it's kind of a no-brainer when it starts happening. You just lean into it. But you guys, you, you guys have had a lot of success since then. You've been shipping a lot of product. How many products do you guys move a month through your doors? We sell 3,000 products. And currently, we are delivering more than 200,000 orders. Right. 200,000 orders. That's a huge number. And each order might have more than one product. Right. It yes. might be a bundle or a basket. Right. What have you learned about logistics? Right. I just imagine the magnitude of moving, I don't know, half a million goods in a month. And it sounds terribly daunting, but there's a lot of uh, entrepreneurs who are going to start with some crazy idea and get to this point. How do, you, how do you scale into that if you've never done it before? Any best practices or wisdom you can share? For sure. Logistics is all about operational excellence. And uh, is in, in our business where, where like CPG products uh, have very tight margins, you have to be very disciplined on the processes and the systems that you use uh, in order to be able to deliver your products uh, with your fulfilling your value prop, but also with a reasonable cost to serve so that you can earn money in every order. So I think logistics is the type of, of a job where you need people that are like very disciplined, very detailed oriented, and that are like making everything works like your playbook or your processes has been designed. And and like it's not a logistics, not about like, okay, let's be creative about how we're going to pick the orders today. So picking or picking should be a process that you have to be defined step by step, how it's done, uh, who should do it, at what time, like everything has to be measured like minute by minute so that the process works. And the second thing that I think that is very important about logistics is that everything that works today is there to be challenged and do it in a better way. When we started, Mark, doing logistics, eh, trying to deliver small orders with 3,000 SKUs in the portfolio to corner stores, there was no logistic company that could provide us this service. So we had, we were obligated to build everything. Obviously, we work with logistic companies, so they provide us warehousing and personnel and drivers. They are not our drivers or warehouses or our personnel, but we had to design all the process, how we imagine that we will have to do it so we can fulfill the value prop, even for next day delivery. Not for same day, for, for, for deliveries 24 hours later. And um, 
everything that works at that moment, uh, the, how they worked at that moment, we had to challenge and start designing every system and connecting everything so we can fulfill our value our, our value. Okay. And, and and that's the beauty on 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 on, on logistics. Right? Uh, the uh, the way it's done today, that's why companies like us, like us has a big opportunity entering in, in, in this type of, of, of market. Uh, is is something that is not designed for the store. It's designed either for the logistic company or for the supply. So and why it's not designed for the for the for the uh, for our customer or for the store owner because they try to make it efficient for their portfolio. If you are a CPG company, you have a small portfolio in contrast to 3,000 SKUs. And uh, the way that, that, that you make this work is going to specific zones every Tuesday or every Wednesday. So the store owner has to wait for a week. What, what the store owner has to do is to buy products for a week without any like inventory management or any systems mm. to make this decision. This is just pen and paper, you know? So for sure that they're going to make a decision where they're going to buy more or less than they, that, than they need. It's very hard for them to buy exactly what they're going to need for a week. Uh, we are offering something different. We're telling the, the, our, our store owners, the way that you can like release working capital is just ordering every day, smaller quantities, uh, what you need, and we will be able to deliver to your doorstep uh, same or next day. And, and, and that's what we believe that is going to change because we are thinking about them. Obviously, we have to be able to prove that we can do it with uh, efficient economics, but that their service is designed for them, not about us thinking how us could be more, uh, more efficient in terms of economics. So that's, that's something that, that, that like we are, I think that is what is going to make us change the paradigm on how stores buy products uh, for the stores. It's interesting how the diversity of your portfolio, the scale of product lines drives an ability to economically deliver same day. I hadn't, you know, it's interesting to see those two concepts connected. The, but I want to ask one more question. Like someone's showing up day one, they, they launched an idea, they're getting market pull that people want this product and they need to ship it. And they're doing this from their garage. What's the playbook to go from, hey, there's demand to having a proper logistics operation? Is the first step higher, go find third-party logistics providers and start partnering? Do you need to hire in someone who's an expert in logistics or can you just use good logic and figure it out? Are there software tools that you recommend? What's the, what are the steps to get from kind of nowhere, but knowing you have demand to, um, you know, a small, medium, proper logistics supply chain? Yeah, well, and actually to tell you about our story, how we started, we had just one single track that the supplier uh, lended us, uh, like, so we can use it to collect products and then deliver products. We didn't have a warehouse. That's how we started. And we sent it to our store owners at that moment or, or the people that was buying uh, to us, just a spreadsheet through WhatsApp and said, hey guys, this is what we have today. What would you like to, to buy? They tell us, okay, these whatever, 10 things. Okay, we just like did the order internally and then we send the track to every point to deliver those products. So 
I think this, in the early days, you have to do it yourself. Try to take your car or your bike or anything that you have and go and just deliver. You know, say that this, I think that, that this is something you can't uh, jump because it's going, to, it's going to help you understand in the early days what your customers are expecting, uh, how is the, the, the delivery, how the delivery works, how hard it is to put an order and deliver on time. So that's the first step. Then when we actually we, we, we um, um, open or launch our first like warehouse. Basically, it wasn't a warehouse. We just bought space on a, for a logistic company that they had in a, that they were not utilizing in a, in a warehouse. And, and this, this space that we bought, we, we had to do it because a new supplier was wanting to sell to us. And now we couldn't use the same truck because the truck was a, a refrigerated truck. And we couldn't store the So That obligated us to go to a logistic company and tell them, hey, guys, we need a space to store. But we don't, we're not able to pay for our warehouse. We can pay for some positions at your warehouse. Can you rent me some positions at your warehouse? And unfortunately, they told us, yes, they rent us just some positions on, on their warehouse. And now I need some tracks. Like you have tracks, just, I don't know, one track per day. Uh, tracks in Latin America are contractors, like 80% of the track fleet are contractors, independent contractors. So you just can hire uh, one of them for a day or, or, for a, or for a month and that's it. And you can start working. And that's how we started to understand logistics and, and how to work. So I think on the on, talking about the playbook is do it yourself, go to third parties and connect them. And finally, that is something that we are looking forward to do is what, what of those things that you are doing, you are going to own it yourself because it, it's better for your business. For example, are you going to, if, when you have volume, are you going to basically rent the warehouse directly uh, by, by yourself? Or it makes sense to still work with uh, third parties. Or are you going to work with drivers that basically today we are, for example, working with drivers that are working exclusively for us. And we're starting to create uh, a driver's fleet that, that didn't exist. Uh, so that's something new that we're doing also because we are, because our growth has been so fast, we are requested to have um, better and faster uh, transportation drivers that they available for us. And we are competing in some markets against Amazon and Mercado Libre, for example, for drivers. Even if we are very small in, against them, uh, drivers always go to the place where they are paying the most. And sometimes these guys, the big guys, can pay more for them. So, uh, yeah, I think the playbook would be with yourself, third party, and then see what things make sense. If logistics is a core uh, part of your business, in our case, it is. Um, try to see which things you would do it yourself. You've achieved a ton of scale already. We've talked about, right? And you're in three countries. It's pretty awesome. What's success for you in this venture? To me, and, and I think to, to the entire company, success to us is uh, waking up every day and being able to fulfill our purpose. And, and, Back in 2018, we sat down with the initial team and we did a, an exercise called True North. Um, and through this exercise, we defined was, what was our purpose. Uh, person, it doesn't matter if you're in Chipper or any other company. What, what, we're, what, what we're pursuing that is bigger than just building a huge business or a unicorn or things like that. And the, what we wrote down 
is that we wanted to eliminate paradigms from the base of the society. And and paradigms means people that is thinking that opportunities or better opportunities are not for them, Uh, that they have to rely on whatever service exists for to solve the problems that they have on a daily basis. And I think to me, I feel successful every day because I wake up to build a company that is eliminating paradigms to a group of people. Fortunately, now uh, the group of people that we are uh, solving these problems are are, are a group of thousands, uh, and hopefully in the future will be millions. Uh, but that's that's what we pursue, and and, and that's what keeps us here. That, that that this is a extraordinary vehicle. Cheaper is an extraordinary vehicle to fulfill this this, this purpose, and and that's what made me feel successful. I love that. You know, it, we talk about this a lot, but entrepreneurs all wake up with different reasons for why they do what they do. But from a society level function, your job and my job is to go out and solve problems for folks. We may do it to make money. We may do it for a way of life for ourselves. We may do it because we're passionate about that problem. doesn't matter. At the end of the day, we're all temporary, but the solutions you're building may not be. Um, how did you end up as an entrepreneur, right? There's what you know is that something that's always been in your blood? I mean, I know you were you were doing a studio before this. Is it what was your path? Yeah, well, when I was um, finalizing my my studies in university, I studied uh, industrial design. Um, by the end of your career in, in Colombia, you have to do something called like uh, professional practice, and you have to go to some company, work for six months, and well, then stay there or find uh, another job and just for graduation. Uh, at that moment, I, I started looking at, at some options. I remember that I went once uh, to my own, the only interview that I had in my life uh, at a traditional company back in Cali, my, 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 my original city. And I sat down to do the, like, the task that I was requested for, for the interview. It was like designing some kind of... Uh, um, like uh, it was like um, this 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 uh, machines that dispense uh, coke like to design for the machine like three D. I just sat down and, and I was in the middle of a lot of desks and like a big floor. I was like just doing the, the test and I just finished the test and I say I can see myself like doing this every day. Like, this is this is like not for me. I felt in the the wrong place. I just. When I, when, I, when I finished the, the test, I just told the guy who was interviewing me, like, hey, man, here's a, the, the test, but I, I really thank you. I, I, I don't want to like, participate anymore in the, in the process. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Goodbye. Then I, I, I left the, 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 that company and um, I visited Simon, that, that is a friend. Simon is the, the CEO of Rappi. He's a friend from school. Um, and I visited him in Bogota. And he showed me what he was doing at that moment he was already uh, doing websites just designing websites uh, for 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 companies that were that he was selling at that moment uh, at and, and i felt like okay this is great like i i saw something that i wanted to do it seems like something uh, interesting website but at that moment in, in, in colombia and latin america in general wasn't obviously what they are today it, it was something new very few companies had a website at that moment uh, so I just told him, like, hey, man, I have to do these practices. Why don't I do it here and just start like working with you? 
uh, I think that this is something great and, and probably something that I would like to do. I'm a designer, so I can design and, and sell and build the projects and, and deliver. And that's how I started. And then since then, um, that those, there was not like just two or three people at the moment at Dynamos. And, and since then, we've been like building uh, Imaginamos and a lot of projects from there. Uh, so I consider myself like I, I was fortunate to start being an entrepreneur since the first day that I started working formally for, for a company. So if, if you hadn't have bumped into Simon, pretty lucky turn of events, someone to kind of say, hey, here's the path. Were there other community outposts in Colombia at the time, you know, that were opening the door to entrepreneurship or was, is entrepreneurship not a well-illuminated path there? What's the, what's the community like for entrepreneurs? Well, it, I, I, it didn't exist, uh, 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 an entrepreneurial community or like entrepreneurial businesses at that moment. Uh, just, just for a number, uh, at that moment, there were only like two companies doing technology, two relevant companies building technology uh, in, for, for the Colombian industry. We were the third one, and we were building technology for the ones that couldn't pay for the big ones, uh, basically the, the small companies. So, so it, it didn't exist. So probably some, some projects, but like not a community at all, not a network like, like it is today. Um, I, I, and actually, I didn't know that I was being an entrepreneur at that moment. I, I just started working at something that I thought that was like, makes sense that I would like to do it. Uh, that, that, and that I enjoyed, and, and that's it. Like I, I wasn't thinking about okay, now I'm an entrepreneur because I'm like building my Namus from scratch. Never thought about it. Um, those were words and and, and concepts that, that came later on. And and I think companies like Imaginamos, that there are other companies also like that were born in Colombia with all the other services, are the ones that has um, like built and developed uh, hundreds of people that now are part of this like ecosystem of entrepreneurs that are building um, a lot of different companies or being part of a lot of different companies. And now you would see uh, a huge ecosystem. Like I, I, today, I, I see what's happening and I remember those moments and like, it was like loneliness, prehistoric times, 2007. Uh, today, we are like way better, far from where we were at that moment. And, and, and this just has passed. Just 15 years, you know. Uh, if this continues, uh, how how it goes, uh, I am looking forward to see how it's going to look in the next 15 years. Because uh, if we keep doing what we've been doing, and all the other entrepreneurs in in, in, in Colombia and Latin America keep pushing uh, the way that we're pushing, I think 15 years from now, Latin America could be seen as a, a tech hub with very important and relevant companies. Uh, really, like, hopefully solving problems for people, making things cheaper or better or providing services that people didn't have in the past. I totally believe that too. I think it's on trend for that. Um, how, how integrated is entrepreneurship in kind of the mainstream culture now? Right? Is it something that a lot of college students are talking about? You know, are tech companies popping up in the media all the time down there? What, what do you... How, how much part of the collective, how central is it to the collective consciousness of the local population? Well, I will give you an example with uh, I, I, an event that I participated 
a couple of years ago, I was invited to a university to check to see all the like graduation projects from a cohort of, of designers. And Mark, everyone, everyone was like their final project was a company, a new company. Love that. And everyone, every company had to do something with tech. So it's not something that is just like fashionable or that people want to do because they see some two or three examples that are being successful. It's something that I think we are adopting as, as the new way of building businesses. I think every business in now and in the future, obviously, has to be a tech business in some way. Even if you have a restaurant or a bakery or anything that you have, will have to do it with technology. And I think people is now thinking or incorporating technology at the core and then like building the idea. So, so that, that was uh, something that just amazed me to see how everyone was thinking about just like not doing a project for traditional companies or a bank or something, but proposing something new. It sounds like the general population is already on board. Has the government caught up? How, how, how is the regulatory environment for startups? Is it a good place to do business in Colombia? And, you know, which countries are hospitable? How does it vary? Yeah, I think Colombia, and, and knowing the conditions in, in Mexico and Brazil, uh, a bit deeper than the rest of Latin America, um, is very favorable for, for entrepreneurship and building a company. Um, there's not like, some type of regulation that is uh, giving some type of advantage or something special for, for entrepreneurs, like for example, uh, on taxes or something like that. But you can, in Colombia, you have great talent. You have a country that is kind of in the middle of Brazil and Mexico. And, you know, like it's a, it's a place where, where it's, it's, it's not as developed as Brazil, but it's not uh, as behind as probably other countries in the time. It's like, like, in the middle of, of all of them. So it's a good place to test and experiment stuff. Um, Colombia, I think it's not an expensive country. So, so, so you can, the money that you can raise or that you're going to invest in your business uh, could be, you can, you can have more from it. Um, so, so I think the conditions that Colombia has today uh, are good conditions for a company to, to, to start. We see a more aggressive environment, for example, in terms of taxes in Brazil. Uh, we see a more aggressive environment, for example, in, in terms of regulations for employees and the cost uh, to have an employee in Mexico. Um, so, so I think Colombia is a place that is very favorable uh, for, 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 for new companies um, to, 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 to start. But nothing that I would remark that is special that the government has done for companies like us to, to start. Like We have the same uh, obstacles that you would have in probably countries, other countries in Latin America. Are there countries that you think are up and comers or great places for entrepreneurs to be paying attention to right now? It sounds like there's a little bit of a triumvirate with Colombia, uh, Mexico, Brazil. We hear those three countries a lot on the strategic roadmap for Latin startups. Um, is Chile in the mix? Like what's, what's floating around that you think is kind of coming online and becoming increasingly relevant? Yeah, uh, well, yeah, for sure, Colombia, Mexico, and Brazil, Mexico, and Brazil being the largest markets, uh, obviously are the place where you want to be, but obviously also harder 
to 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 win uh, those markets. Um, I've seen like Chile having a very interesting ecosystem being developed. Argentina, great entrepreneurs, like you find great talent. But I think Argentina is a place where people think it twice uh, because of inflation and like politics that is 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 more uh, like unstable than other countries in in Latin America. But uh, companies like Mercado Libre and other companies that were born in 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 in, in Argentina have left like a lot of people that is great talent that, that as we have we, have, we work with some Argentinas and, and they are great. Uh, for, for 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 us, um, so yeah, I would say that that, that we are in the right markets right now. Um, the other markets for our business uh, are potentially going to be uh, tackled in the future. Uh, but for now, like Brazil and Mexico are so big, uh, like ten times Colombia, for example, for Brazil, uh, that we have a lot of work to do. Right. Are you seeing a pattern of where the founders come from? Are there p- patterns that they're coming from certain schools or certain geographies or certain companies where they're kind of the birthplace of the current birthplace of innovators? Yes. Um, well, tech companies, um, even if they are on the side of building software for, for other companies or uh, early companies like or early days in Mercado Libre, Espegar, and all the, the big guys. Those are the places where I've seen more entrepreneurs uh, like starting to like start their own adventure. Um, so that's why like these type of companies are so important because the companies like Cheaper and the others that are similar to us uh, at the same moment, I'm sure that we are going to be the ones that replicate what the uh, companies that we admire, like, like Mercado Libre, Rappi, Despegar, all the other big ones that we have in Latin America have done. But in the past, we're very few. You have like three or four companies that were notable, uh, where talent uh, that know how it, this works could, 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 could start something. Now, fortunately, we have hundreds of companies like, like, like Cheaper and, and thousands of companies, probably smaller, but also with great products. And, 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 and also great teams. So I think this is going to be a multiplier. And, and in the future, well, how it has happened from this, the big ones to hundreds and then to thousands, hopefully we can get to hundreds of thousands of, of people that has gone through these companies as, as vehicles where they have learned uh, what is entrepreneurship about? What's the mindset that you need to be successful? How is, how is to build a company from scratch? How is to raise money? All the things that, 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 that you need to learn and, and understand and probably dominate to be able to start something and have a bigger chance to be successful is what is going to be uh, for the region transformative. Yeah, and the, the other main ingredient outside of talent, and I, I agree with you, I think there's this virtuous cycle. Startups beget more startups. I'm sure in your company, you're training the next generation of entrepreneurs, whether you know it or not. Uh, I'm sure you know it. Uh, is capital. Where, where are you guys drawing a lot of capital from? How much is down there? How much is the States? What's the, what's the venture market look like in the angel ecosystem? Yeah, well, when I remember probably Rappi was my first experience um, 
as as like the angel or friends and family uh, ecosystem of, of investors. I remember at that moment, uh, the people that invested in, in the beginning, like the first group of people, were just friends that didn't know what they were doing. There's just like an idea with a team that they trust, but not really like really be every like 100 percent like being conscious of, of of that they are investing in a company a tech company where they're going to have stocks and whatever that that was something that at that moment i think wasn't clear enough and, and there was like i couldn't see an ecosystem behind uh this this angel or, or friends and family now i've seen hundreds of like funds that have been starting family offices that now people believe because of the rapids of the world, uh, Mercado Libres, all of these big guys that have done very well. Now people believe that this is an opportunity for them to put money. I think in the past, people invested in, in real estate and, and, and traditional businesses. Uh, and, and for us, like, like normal common humans, there, there is not a culture of investing uh, in, in Latin America at that moment. Now people are seeing this as an opportunity to not only support great projects and great teams, but also to bring some money back in the future if, if, if the, the project works. So I can say that I, I know hundreds of people that angels that invest their own money uh, for, for, for new companies. Now we have a list of more than a hundred uh, local VCs in Brazil, Mexico, Colombia. I'm seeing very important VCs uh, like Kasek, for example, sending people to Mexico, uh, to to open an office there and and coming to Colombia more frequently. Same thing happened uh, for Monashis that are like the like top two funds in in the time, in my opinion. And 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 seeing others that are popping up that are becoming relevant. Uh, and now you can probably do your your A and your B locally, and you don't have to go to the US so, so early to 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 go for a for a big check. Uh, and in the U.S., uh, on the other hand, also I'm seeing how um, all of them are starting to put people or dedicate funds for Latin America. And that's something that has been happening in the last few years. Uh, and now we have like discussions with, with teams that we know from three years ago that now they have a person that is dedicated to Latam or dedicated to between marketplaces in Latam. Uh, and that's something that's very interesting that is happening because that means that everyone is seeing the opportunity of investing in a market that is way behind on, on the development that it should have. And that in the next 10 to 15 years is going to become, hopefully, a tech ecosystem that is going to be dominating the main industries and the main companies in the next 10 to 15 years should be tech companies like it is in the U.S. and like it is in, in, in China, and and that's something that, that that to me is amazing that is happening because now a lot of projects that in the past wouldn't be able to thrive or to scale, now they have the opportunity to do. It. Okay, last ingredient in a big ecosystem like this, right? Obviously, is the exit, and there's always a natural understanding that local companies will consolidate and M and A will happen. Where do companies go public from Latin America? What's the path if they're going to, you know, they're big enough to IPO? Where do they typically do that? Where do they list? Well, I, I, I think everyone uh, 
that is building a company like us would like to be listed in, in, in the US stock market. I think that that's the dream uh, for, for every entrepreneur that wants to take the company public. But now I'm seeing that there are companies going public, for example, in Brazil. Haven't seen it in Colombia yet, but in Brazil, uh, they do. And I think that's, that's also like when I see the, the, the local market, uh, the local stock market in Colombia, for example, I can't see a company that I want to invest in. Like these are like traditional companies or companies that are doing things like probably not that, that I don't think that they're like the future. Uh, mm-hmm. mo- mo- most of these companies, they, they don't deliver uh, to shareholders any value. Like the stock is pretty stable for decades. So like you don't have like a competitive ecosystem locally to take public your companies uh, in, 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 in Colombia, for example. Uh, Brazil, I, I've seen that now some people is, is, is using it. So hopefully uh, companies like us could also uh, go public through our local, also to give the opportunity to, to, to people locally to be able to to also participate and and and, and invest in, in in these companies that hopefully they can also bring for them a, a value in the future. But I think that the dream for everyone is 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 um, is is US. What does Latam need? What's missing? It feels like all the major ingredients are in play, either locally or through integration with America. I mean, we're neighbors. Right, and it feels like the the geographies, the lines are blurring in a good way, where right? we're we're integrating the economies little by little, which I think is to everyone's benefit. What does it need? What's missing? What can people contribute? What does LATAM need right now for the startup side? Yeah, I think I think LATAM um, has a very uh, in unstable um, political. Um, environment and and this i think that it this like push back on, on on the efforts on on entrepreneurship and I, for example you know argentina is, is is a country that like for since mercado libre and Spigar and, and probably Walla in the, the early days but there's nothing more being a great country and and having this uh, past or background from these great companies and probably is related to the political instability that they have been suffering there. Same thing, Venezuela. Like you don't see any unicorns or great companies being born in Venezuela it's because the political uh, also environment. So I think one of the things that are very important for us is to, to pick good, uh, govern, good presidents and, and, and select very well who's going to lead the countries because we need them not to destroy the country. Uh, that's that's going to be making possible for 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 entrepreneurs to to build like great 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 uh, uh, companies. Uh, and that's something that you can control. You can't control, uh, but but it's something that you have to be aware of and, and try to build conscious uh, in the country how important it is to have a good governance that allows the country to keep having the conditions for entrepreneurship and, and, and companies to be born. Uh, I think that would be my, 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 my top pick uh, because everything is there. The talent is there. Uh, 
the VC world is looking at us as a great opportunity. Uh, we have a lot of benchmarks and friends and people we know that is building something that can help us on, on our own endeavor. Uh, we have organizations also pushing uh, all of these companies. Uh, the uh, universities are also helping to push uh, the ecosystem. So I think everything, everyone has to understand how important the, this is, how, how transformative it, it, it could be. The only thing that could probably damage or hurt very, very badly uh, this process is, is becoming a country where no one wants to invest or no one wants to, to build a company. Jose, thanks for being on today. I appreciate you. My pleasure, Mark. Thanks for inviting me. Jose is the absolute man. I'm really grateful he took the time to do the show uh, and share his perspective on LATAM, of all things. Um, I found that very educational and insightful, and I personally am very bullish on the future of the region. If you like what you heard, please hook us up with a like or a five-star review, and feel free to share with a friend. You can find me on Twitter at MPD, and to hear more of my conversations with innovators, subscribe on YouTube or any major podcast platform. Just search for innovation with Mark Peter Davis.